This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. He says that the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of receiving gifts, our victorious King, He dispersed gifts. Our God, through His grace, has given us gifts, multiple gifts, and diverse gifts. In today's message, we'll be reminded of an important truth, that no matter how good we think we are, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible teaches us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Here's another important point, that there's nothing we can do to cleanse ourselves of sin. That's why we need Jesus. He came to this earth to offer us free salvation. His sacrifice, His blood was, still is, and will always be sufficient. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 7, for part one of our message entitled, Our King, Victorious and Sufficient. We're now beginning to move in Ephesians chapter 4 from a discussion on the unity of the whole to the diversity of the individual. The unity of the whole of the body of Christ is made out of the diversity of all the individuals that are a part of the body of Christ. But here in these verses, we're going to see this sudden kind of uh, change. In verses 1 to 6, he spoke about the unity. He, he spoke about that there's one body, one spirit. We're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But now Paul switches to start speaking of some of the individuality of the gifts that the Lord has given to us. And so we're going to begin this morning, and I'll read verses 7 through 12, and then we'll go from there. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean, but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. As Paul begins this section here in verse 7, he, he declares that the source of all of our gifts and the calling that we receive, they're not by our merit. We can't go up and say, you know, I'm called into this position even as pastor out of my merit. No, it's the calling of God. Whatever gift, whatever calling that God has on any of our lives, and beloved, you as a believer, you have a gift and a calling on your life. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we dig on into chapter 4. But suffice it to say this morning that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Christ the Lord has gifted you in areas of ministry, okay? 
but it's not by your merit. It's according to the grace of Christ. The Holy Spirit also led Paul to be really clear about the measure of that gift, the the intensity, the size, the portion, the strength of it. Verse 7 should be understood. The best way to really look at that and understand what it's saying is to simply say, but to each of us, the grace was given in proportion to the gift as Christ gave it and apportioned it to us. In other words, each of us, as believers, each of us have a function in the body of Christ according to God's enablement and proportionate to the gift or the the spiritual ability given by him, no more and no less. Now, I have to be real quick to say that does not mean that in your spiritual giftings, that you don't grow in those, because we need to grow in the giftings that the Lord has called us to do it. But it's not by your abilities. It is truly by your surrendering, your faithfulness, your obedience, your opening yourselves up, allowing the Lord to exercise that gift in you. If the Lord gave me, for instance, a gift of teaching, and I never taught, whose fault would that be? Would that be the Lord who gave it to me, or me for failing to exercise it? And you might say, yeah, but they've never opened up an opportunity for me to teach. Are you kidding? There's people all over the world that need to hear the message of the gospel. It might be the street corner. It might be in your workplace. It might be your neighbors. It might be your family. Allow the Lord to use it, whatever that gifting is, but you need to exercise it. These gifts were given to us by the Lord Each one of us, as we've received those, we are all called into service, not privilege. We say, well, you know, I've got this gift, or I've got this gift, or hey, you know me, I've got that gift. No, that has nothing to do with it. All of it is given to us for service to the body of Christ. There ought to be a humility, not a boasting. There's not a striving for position, but there's an acceptance of the calling and then an exercising of that calling and allowing the Lord to further equip, empower, and grow us in it. With each one of these gifts, each one of these positions, there are differing responsibilities. I love what James says. James understood that when he writes in James chapter 3. He says, you know what, not many of you guys ought to be teachers because you need to understand that Teachers are going to be held to a greater responsibility or a stricter judgment to themselves. Now, why would that be? Why would a teacher have a greater judgment? Because as a teacher, in the work of the Lord, in ministering the word of the Lord to others, you stand as a spokesman of the Lord. And if you don't, again, pay attention to what you're teaching... Earnestly seek the Lord in what's going out, and if you're just blabbering maybe what somebody else has said and you're passing that on, you are, again, you may be just simply transferring bad doctrine, bad teaching, and the responsibility is going to be yours because people will look at you and say, well, you know, they're teaching the Word. There's going to be a lot of people that are right now today in pulpits all across America and in Bible classes and in home groups that are teaching bad doctrine, it pulls so far away from the Word of God. We need to be careful of that. But at the same time, I have to say, whatever the calling is in your life, you need to be faithful to that calling, whatever it is, and allow the Lord to reveal that to you. 
again, as verse 7 begins this discussion on, on the diversity of the body and the diversity of the gifts, it would really kind of flow very naturally right into verse 11 without verses 8 and 10. And as we'll see in a moment, verses 8 and 10 are sort of a parenthesis. They're a uh, kind of a sidebar from what Paul is, is telling us here in chapter 4. But just listen to verse 7 if we kind of put 8 and 9 and 10 off to the side. 7 flowing right into 11 would read like this. But to each of one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and on and on he goes. It would still flow. It still makes sense. So what is the deal with verses 8, 9, and 10? The Holy Spirit, through Paul's pen, led Paul to explain, again, how that statement in verse 7 connects with a prophetic word from Psalm chapter 68. And that's what Paul is doing. He makes this declaration in verse 7. But then in verses 8, 9, and 10, he says, you know, this is just like what the prophecy said. This is just like what the psalmist declared. So let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, therefore, he says, in other words, speaking of the Lord, therefore, the Lord speaks. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Well, this is actually a sort of quotation from Psalm 68, verse 18. It's not a word for word. As a matter of fact, there's something that's, that's very different about this verse, verse 8 here in Ephesians 4, and in Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verse 18 declares this. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Now, the great difference that you ought to see is Paul speaks about that he gave gifts to men, whereas the psalmist declared that he received gifts from men. And we'll look at that in a moment. Because Paul gives his own commentary to his declaration here. And I, and I love it when, when Paul gives his own commentary. That way we don't have to worry about what he's saying. He tells us what he's saying. And yet even at that, we've got to agree with the, what Peter says about some of the writings of Paul, even in Paul's commentaries. Peter tells us that there are some things that Paul writes which are hard to understand. He says that those which are untaught, those unstable people, they twist his words to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. And I believe that this is one of those places here that they twist the words, they twist the understanding to pull together these false doctrines. For now, again, just looking at this, the main difference we see Paul says he gave gifts to men, whereas the psalmist says he received gifts. I believe that Paul is speaking out of his culture, and in the culture that Paul lived in, the Roman culture that was all around him, the Roman leaders of the day, as they were victorious over their foes, they would give gifts out to their soldiers and to the people. So as the, the Roman uh, leader or victor would come into the city back home, he 
would be leading his captives by chain, and he would then disperse gifts. Usually, from the spoil of the enemy, he would give these gifts to those, again, that were part of his city or even of his soldiers. We see that. A.T. Barnes tells us that what Paul is speaking here is the language derived from a conqueror who not only makes captives, but who makes captives of those who were then prisoners and who conducts them as part of a triumphant procession. He not only subdues his enemy, but he leads his captives in triumph. The allusion is to the public triumphs of a conqueror, especially as celebrated among the Romans, in which captives were led in chains behind the victor's chariots. As we know, The enemies of our spiritual lives, the things that are continually coming against us, those things that held us captive as non-believers, sin, the curse of the law, death, all of these, Jesus is now triumphed over. He led those things away that held us captive. He now leads them away into captivity themselves as our victorious king. Amen? You need to understand the depth of this. The very thing that held you and I captive. No longer hold us captive. Now, can we put ourselves under it? Yeah, unfortunately that's true. But the word is very clear. Paul is very straightforward in this. That we are no longer slaves to sin. That we are no longer under that bondage. Do we come under it? Yes, we do. We allow ourselves to come under it. But again, the victory is found in Christ. It's the idea that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, when he declares, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He tells us a little later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57, a very familiar verse probably to many of you, when he declares, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is your victory? He says that the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of receiving gifts, our victorious king, he dispersed gifts. Our God, through his grace, has given us gifts, multiple gifts and diverse gifts. Now, back here in Ephesians, Paul then gives his commentary or his explanation of using the quote from Psalm 68. We look at verses 9 and 10. And Paul writes, he says, Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now I need you to hang in there, okay? Because again, as we get into some of this, it might not be as as fast moving, it might not be as interesting that would keep your attention. So you need to work this morning at paying attention, okay? You need to work at being dialed in. I don't have a whole lot of funny stories to go with this stuff, okay? I don't have the jokes to to keep your attention. You need to do this on your own today, okay? 
because it's here, there's a couple of issues that we need to consider. I don't want to belabor the point uh, or to bore you with too much detail on it, but I do want to spend some time on this because some very, very bad doctrine has come out of this very passage and a couple of others that they try to tie in with what Paul is saying right here in verses 9 and 10. There's many that have made major issues out of what's said in these verses, taking the opportunity to build some major false doctrines, declaring that Jesus had to suffer in hell for our sins. Beloved, that just ain't so. Paul simply states it, and he moves on. He makes a statement in verses 9 and 10, and he moves on. But because of the misuse of this passage by so many within the Christian community, we need to spend a moment. We need to spend a moment or two this morning. In these two verses, verses 9 and 10, we have, He ascended. He also first descended. He who descended is also the one who ascended. In other words, what he's saying is he went up, but he had also come down. And he who came down also went back up. And in the midst of that, we also have the fact that he descended to the lower parts of the earth. And then he ascended far above all the heavens. So, if you've got all that, we're good. Let's move on. Really and truly, it is that simple. The problem is, is some have added to it greatly. All Paul is stating is that Christ could ascend back into the heavenlies because there had been a time that he descended from the heavenlies. That's the simplicity of it. Paul's very clear about this same concept in many of his other writings. In Philippians chapter 2, he writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, in other words, being in the form of God, his place, his position in glory, taking now the form of a bondservant, in other words, he says he continues on, and coming now in the likeness of men, now he descended, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus humbled himself, taking upon the form of humanity. He left the throne room of glory. He came, he took upon himself human flesh. He suffered, he died for us, the death of crucifixion. And then as Paul goes on to tell us in Philippians chapter 2, God rightly and justly exalted him then once again. Paul tells us there in Philippians 2.9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John tells us a very similar thing in, in John's gospel message. In John chapter 1, again, very, very familiar verses to many of us. He says in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In other words, he was in the heavenlies. And the Word was God. And he goes on, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, speaking of Jesus. And without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Then down in verse 14, 
the one who was with God in the heavenlies. In verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and now descended. He dwelt among us. He descended to the earth. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and, and truth. A little bit later in John's Gospel, in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. This is the same thing Paul is bringing out. But a little bit later, John, still in his Gospel message, chapter 6, verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven heaven, and gives life to the world. Jesus, again, and I know it's repetitious, but you need to understand that this is the understanding of all the apostles of who Jesus is, what he did, and why he did it. Jesus, the very word of God, the very essence of God, with God and being God, he descended to the earth. He took upon himself humanity, human flesh, and he lived among us. Then he was crucified On the cross, he died, he was buried, and then he rose again from the dead and ascended back to the Father. This is the same concept, this is the same truth that Paul is referring to here in Ephesians. There in verse 9, he says, now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended? Remember, he was the one who came down. Now that's the simple part. That ought to be clear to all of us. There ought to not be a question about that in any believer's heart, mind, understanding. That Jesus dwelt with the Father as God. He took upon himself human flesh, came and dwelt among us until it was time for him to go back. Now comes the problem. Some look at the balance of this statement here. When Paul says, he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And suddenly they declare that Jesus had to go to hell and suffer torment for those three days in order to complete our salvation. Thus the cross is no longer sufficient. Jesus had to suffer and die an even deeper death in hell. And again, beloved, this just isn't so. The cross is sufficient. It is wholly and completely sufficient for our sin. I know where they get the ideas from. I know that there's other verses that they pull. They pull bad interpretations of various and assorted verses, here a little, there a little, and they pull together and and build their own doctrine out of this thing. And yet we don't see that doctrine proclaimed without or within and through the Scriptures. I need you to hang in there with me a little bit longer, okay? I need you to, again, understand Because this deals with the sufficiency of the cross. And beloved, the sufficiency of the cross is necessary for us in multiple ways. Because if the cross isn't sufficient, that means that I need to do something else to enable my salvation. Beloved, there's nothing you can do beyond the cross. The cross did it all. Christ did it all for us when he died on the cross. And if the cross isn't sufficient, there ain't nothing you can do to help. Bad English, but good theology, okay? (laughs) The cross is sufficient. There's nothing necessary. Nothing needs to be added to what Christ did there. And if we build on that, 
then we have problems. Now, we're going to step a little bit deeper into waters here, okay? The first problem that we have that we see here is the idea and the understanding of Hades, of the grave, of Sheol, or of hell. Now, we don't have time to get into all of it today, but I need to give you a little bit of clarity on the Old Testament Hebrew words and on the New Testament Greek words, as well as a translation problem with the King James Version in order to get to this. And I promise not to drown you, okay? One of the verses that they look at is Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Psalm 16, and rather than the entire psalm, we're going to look at verses 8 through 11, kind of the last half of this psalm, because this is where part of the problem comes from in those that believe that Jesus went to hell and suffered there. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through God's Word. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.